morning, good evening, good afternoon. Um, it is good seeing the camera in front of my face again. It has been probably a month or two since I've shot a podcast, but I mean, that is what happens when you're a student in your final year. Um, but luckily that's done, so I can return to just talking about cars, talking to people uh, who love cars. So welcome back to, I don't know if I'm going to dub the season four or not, but welcome back to On the Overrun, where it's all about cars, but mainly about the people around it, mainly about the people who make up the industry, who have some interesting stories and just have a massive passion for the mutual object um, that we all love and gather around. Um, so that, today I'm in an awesome location. I wish you could see the cars behind me. Behind me, I'm looking at a very cool old Austin Healy, uh, DBS, three E-types. Um, there is quite a few German cars also here, but this is a bit of a British um, partial club. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> this is Clinton Lauder. He is the owner and founder of Lauder classic cars indeed yeah so we'll have a bit of a chat with him today just about his story you know the drill art usually goes um so quickly just interesting for me to rather get the perspective of what kind of cars you really like if you had to choose between a broken up e-type or the best example of the 190 evo 2 mercedes yeah that's easy. That's easy. It would be a jack. It would be the jack. <laughs> okay, so we all very. It would be British. a jack. Yeah, listen, I'm a, I'm a bit genetically flawed, so <laughs> our philosophy here is quite simple. If it if it leaks a bit of oil, we're allowed on the floor, which sort of qualifies all the all the uh, British cars. So um, I get it. I mean, we've got a couple of we've got a couple of Mercy that snuck on the floor, and we've even got a little Topolino here that we're busy doing. But I mean, we we really we're we're car guys. And we're here no. because we love cars. The reason why we stick to the British stuff is quite simple. It's the way I mitigate my risk. So when I listen to uh, a Healy or I listen to a Jag or an old Rolls Royce, I listen to it with the purpose of, of listening to the motor. And each car has got its own sound. Yeah. And you know when something is out of, out of place. Oh, yes. So I'm capable of listening to it and going, okay, I need to do that, and I need to do that, and this needs a bit of tweaking. So I can do a little cost calculation as to what it's going to cost me to bring the car into, into good nick. Of course, the, the other advantage of that is that's the, one of the reasons why my clients buy cars from here. Yeah. And that's because they know that I understand the product. So whether it be um, the 3.8 Mark II or a V12 Jag, which a lot of people run away from, mm. or a Healy, uh, we know them. Yeah, we know where they're supposed to leak oil. So we look at the we look at the oil drips at the bottom of the floor, and we'll go, "That's supposed to be there. That's wrong." Okay. <laughs> that's the wrong color. <laughs> that's oil. the wrong color. Well, correct. Pool. Yeah, indeed. So indeed. you are like a bit of a doctor who specialized for 16 years in handling wrists, um, and now people come to you because they know you can solve that problem for yeah. them. Okay, yeah. that's actually a very cool way of looking at it. Because of a lot of um, dealers, whether it be of classic cars or, or luxury cars uh, of the like, um, you could also just be a general dealer in those cars and people who are very passionate about it will still buy these cars mm. and they'll probably take it to their own mechanic or you know do their own research or refurbish it at their own you know preference of a company. Yeah. Uh, whereas you guys sort of from the start, you know a lot more about the causes they probably do. 
um, which is very comforting for the customer, I think. Correct. Um, but before we speak about Lauda, let's speak about very young Clinton. Um, so at some point, you, some seed had to drop and fruit had to be bore, and that fruit had to be passion of cars. So uh, how was life as young Clinton? Where did your passion for cars come from? Was it a typical, yes, it was my dad, or is it another part of the story? Well, this is, um, it's actually sort of the, the third generation. So my granddad was a, was a British car fanatic, um, owned Rolls-Bentleys, owned uh, Rovers, owned Jags, etc., etc. was involved in the British motor industry. Uh, my, my dad, same way, sort of followed suit. Um, we were allowed a couple of cars on the... Uh, on the driveway, but it was always a, either a Rover, a Triumph, or a, or a Jag. Dad had a, had a very strong leaning towards the Jag brand, obviously because of where he worked. And um, you know, as a, as a early, at a very early age, Dad, you're always working on a British car, yeah. you know, especially back in those days. Um, so Dad would always have me at his side, and I was always working under the car. And in fact, some of my memories go back to the ages of as little as, uh, I think it was about two, two and a half years old, lying yeah. under a car with my dad and, and my dad having a conversation with me, you know. So I have a lot of fond memories of my dad. In fact, dad's still around, but yeah. um, I have a, a lot of fond memories as a youngster with my dad. And uh, he was um, always too keen to, to um, you know, sort of help me along or assist me in my, in my genetic flaw. <laughs> and so um, life went on, and, and um, I think when I, at a very early age, I still at school, I was reminded that I wasn't a rich wine farmer's son, <laughs> and that if I wanted a car, we'd better start building. What a realization. So I had finished restoring my own car uh, at an age when other guys hadn't even owned their first cars yet. You know? So I was very, very fortunate. It happened to have been a Jag, uh, so I, at that stage, I'd already done motors, I'd done bodywork, I'd done interiors, I'd done door seals, which in those days were unobtainable, yeah. and we actually made them, um, yeah. and they had to look perfect and they had to look correct, and uh, preparing the woodwork on the inside of the Jags was, uh, is an art on its own. Yeah. You've got to be very careful how you handle the veneers, and... Um, yeah, I was, a, I was a very fortunate guy. Somebody came along and made me an offer for my Jag that didn't make sense back in those days and landed up being a very good investment, thanks to my dad. So yeah. it was an introduction to that. Um, obviously, as everybody knows, I was involved with the Jaguar brand. I uh, only, only left them recently for, uh, to, to start yeah. Louder Classics. And um, that in itself was a, was a fantastic journey taught me everything about not just the old cars, but the new cars. And Jag had this amazing history. You know, yeah. motorsport was genuinely in their, in their blood, you know. And uh, they had their ups and their downs. We had Leyland come along and sort of put that black mark, that black fingerprint yeah. on, the, on the history. But, um, you know, before then... Jag was run by very, very passionate people who believed in the product, who yeah. loved the product. Um, they created these really functional cars that were driven by the elite. And the not-so-elite because, uh, I mean, the Mark IIs were the cars that were driven by uh, British criminals. You yeah. know? 
They were so quick, agile, best breaks around. <laughs> so very, very interesting history. And it yeah. was, I think that's what also connected with me was the fact that these cars have got this wonderful history yeah. and they put a smile on your face and they uh, yeah. sort of driven by the regal and driven by the criminals, you know. What a cool car what to a have. Mix. Yeah, what a mix. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting looking at a lot of brands. Um, Maserati pops up in mind. I think, uh, like Jag, a lot of brands started out with very passionate people. And ultimately, the cars had to satisfy a need or scratch mm. each. Mm. And, uh, m you know, maybe you find so much similarity or, or, or favor or passion with the, or you share so much passion with the, you know, previous owners of Jag or, yeah. or founders because... You know, they have the same sort of itch, itch to scratch or, yeah. or need to satisfy. But, um, you know, at some point looking at car brands today, uh, like your high-end supercar brands or such, um, unfortunately, businesses have to be run and, you know, people have to be paid. And um, that sort of aspect of, of car brands do take away the passion and uh, the cars become a lot more, you know, that's why you get so much sharing of bases of cars where, you know, you get seven cars in a line who basically have the same um, chassis and engine, but just different interior parts. Um, that sort of intricacy or passionate part about car brands sort of get lost when yeah. the businessy side of it. Quite correct. I always, I always say um, cars these days are incredibly capable. There's no yeah. getting away from it. I mean, they've got ABS, EB, I mean, you, 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 you <laughs> mentioned the acronym, they've got them, <laughs> they've you know, and it. they come out with Bluetooth and they, they look after all your needs, you break down somewhere to send a signal, or, yeah. you know, it does all these amazing, but unfortunately cars have, they've lost their soul. And yeah. I think the, the beauty about the cars of this era, of, of, of the era that we're into, um, it, the destination was not the objective. The yeah. journey was the objective. Yeah. So when, you're, when mom and dad packed to go away on holiday at the end of the year, the holiday started when you packed the car and you got in and you drove. These days, it's all about getting to Plettenberg Bay. So kids will be stuck with earphones in their ears and they can't wait. It's like, are we there yet? Yeah. So the, the actual drive is now... Uh, is now a burden. It's Whereas just a formality. The journey was part of the, the whole thing. That's you know? a good point. And I think what's happened is cars have become a bit impersonal. It's like an appliance. Yeah. They're yeah. very good. I've got a fridge at home. It keeps the beer cold, prevents the cheese from going off. It does all those things. But I don't lie awake at night wanting one. I don't lie awake at night wanting a microwave or a fridge. Yeah. When I, was a, when I was a kid and, and my dad's here and until relatively recently, maybe in the, in, in the 90s still, we as kids had posters on our walls and you had a, a Jaggy type and you had a 930 Turbo and a Countach and Samantha Fox. <laughs> you know, all those things that you really badly wanted in life yeah. were there. And kids... Young guys don't have posters on their walls at the moment because, I don't know, I don't think we lie awake at night really wanting these cars. It's all about the numbers on a piece of paper, you know, how many kilowatts and newton meters. Yeah. Not really about the drive. So it's sad, but that's what puts a smile on my face every single time we get into one of these cars. That it's cool. Yeah, There's a new coolness cool. about driving, the way the engines sound and their slight imperfections itself were, were cool. Yeah. So, there's yeah. a one I'm thinking about now around the corner. There's the 
a maroon or dark red Mercedes, a 300, um, is it a SEC? I can't remember the Correct. code. But anyway, it has this um, furry leather bench at the front, which, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you only get old cars that have these kind of top, uh, yeah. like characteristics yeah. or uh, the Fiat in front of us. Is it an old 500? Or? That is a, this is a little Topolino. Topolino. So, so this is one of the front engine Topolinos, which we found in the middle of nowhere. And uh, the body was in good condition. Generally, they're a little bit rusted. So we decided yeah. to give it a little bit of attention. Yeah. We're now re-engineering the entire motor back to original spec because even the bores were slightly oval. And uh, we hope to have her ready. It's such a cool car. It know? is such a cool yeah. car. Even with the Cabriolet yeah. um, sort of you know, leather roof that Indeed. can go down. It's just, it exudes like character. Like you want to drive in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a You're not going anywhere fast. <laughs> yeah, no. But it's cool going there. <laughs> I mean, you probably won't even get to your destination, but that's not the point. <laughs> um, a, a friend of mine, he has a, a, him and his dad are very passionate about Austin Morris's. Yeah. Um, and they basically have like three in the family. Um, this is his daily car as yeah. a student. Yeah, like, yeah. This is what he yeah, drives yeah. around in. Um, he has some sort of, when, when he puts the car um, on, actually just, he has this like truck horn kind of thing that continually beeps to make sure that some part of the engine continues working or he can literally <laughs> only use the um, indicator switch to one side, otherwise yes. he has to stick his hand out. Like a lot of the car is just, it, it doesn't work and yeah, it's, yeah. it's not clinical, yeah. like, it's not even efficient in any way. But have you seen any more people stare at a car yeah. than that one driving yeah, through? Yeah, yeah. Um, even if the A-pillar is as thick as your pinky, you yeah. probably will die when you're going to <laughs> die. Crash, in, <laughs> crash into a sidewalk or something. Um, it's just, it does put a smile on the face. Yeah. And it's like this weird, wacky stuff that these days aren't allowed anymore. Correct. Quite um, correct. So in terms of, let's just chat about louder. Um, how did Lauda come to be? Because you said recently, you actually quite recently yes. moved. Yes. Um, and uh, well, you we, worked for Jack we've moved. We've moved into this. We've moved into the space about two and a half years ago, and um, it was uh, literally. Uh, I wouldn't say an abandoned building, but it uh, it was a building that nobody really wanted. And what actually happened was we started Lauda about four years ago, uh, about two blocks away from here. Yeah. Also an abandoned building. Uh, it was empty, no lights on. And uh, My first staff member is still with us, old Emma. We got in with buckets and cleaned the floors. And we had a few cars and parked them there. There weren't even in, any lights. The, the guys had broken into the building and stolen all the cables out. Nice. You know? So we fixed it up and we started this, this little dealership. And uh, so the, 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 product, the product developed... Uh, to what we have today. And we wanted to create this environment that was sort of, uh, I don't know, it's like that, you know, when grandmother bakes bread yeah. or uh, homemade with homemade jam on it and all that type of thing. Um, it's one of those homegrown, good-feeling places that we yeah. wanted. So uh, uh, we, we wanted to have a space where you could get the apparel. Yeah. You know? And you want a place where you could sit down and have a good cup of coffee. Yeah. Because really what happen, often happens is mom arrives with uh, the girls and they go, dad wants to look at cars and mom goes, not another car shop, you know. <laughs> so we wanted to create an environment that sort of looked after the entire family. So mom could sit down and read the magazine, yeah. her Vogue magazine, and have a good espresso with a breakfast or something like that. Yeah. And dad could look at leisure. Yeah. Um, 
What we've also done, I'm sure you notice, is we actually have our workshop inside, inside the of the show. showroom. So That's so cool. The, the idea of that is we want people to, to see what we do. Yeah. A workshop should never be hidden. Um, and we have a lot of people that come in and go, that's fantastic. I'll buy a car here because I see you actually service them and you repair them. And they can yeah. see how we repair them. And we're yeah, and, uh, moving on in, in that direction. I mean, old Pops, who's with me, old Neville, uh, an amazing old guy, 75 years old. <laughs> and uh, did his apprenticeship on JAG. He's a qualified auto electrician from way back then. I mean, what he does is art. Yeah. You know, he does things, um, he does things sort of instinctively, whereas uh, a, new, a younger guy would sort of have to think his way through a diagnosis. Pop goes, oh, that's that. Uh, let's attend to that. And he, and it's he like muscle fixes memory. It. It's, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. Now, I can do it. Uh, Alan can do it. And, and Pops can do it. But obviously, I'm too busy with with interacting with clients and I've got, yeah. we've got the business to run but yeah. you'll always get me my hands are dirty I've always yeah. got my hands shoved in somewhere yeah. in a car um, but it's I think it's that it's that connective tissue that the workshop lands up being that connective tissue between the cars the sales and and the people here yeah. uh, customers come in and they love that rawness about what we do yeah. it, this is not a slick showroom we're not trying to create a slick show. We want that real homegrown atmosphere here. People are relaxed and yeah. smile and laugh. It's, uh, I sort of, when I walk in and saw the workshop, um, this might be a weird comparison, but I sort of got this idea of walking into a home and seeing the kids playing the dirt and like <laughs> just fooling around. That's exactly But of course, it. yeah. it's not fooling around. Yeah. Like, um, I feel the workshop is very much the heart of, of the showroom and what you do. It sort of shows you're much more intimate and hands-on with the cars. Yeah. Um, but one thing I also enjoy with this kind of homey setup is uh, hearing the conversations you have, like that you have with people or the conversations in the workshop about replacing this or doing this or um, like, well, look at the condition of this engine block or, you know, just like this random conversations. It's so real um, and it sort of just ignites and, um, yeah, sort of ignites the, the fire once again about like why I love cars um, and the people around it. So that's very cool. Um, so in terms of Lauda and, and the main business you do, are you more focused on getting a client in you know someone who loves jags old german cars whatever it may be that leaks oil um and working with them building a relationship over time working on their cars or is it more like come in get your car if it needs fixing we can do that and you know all right that's that or do you focus a lot more on you know i was very i was very fortunate and it's maybe one of the things one of the reasons um why i why I left the formal motor industry is I believe that I've always believed in sort of a very old school approach. Now, um, unfortunately today, the relationship that salespeople or the dealership has with their client generally starts the moment the customer walks in, the sale gets done, and it literally ends there. Yeah. And that relationship is only reignited when the person, when the salesperson realizes, wait a bit, this car's come in, he's done 100,000 Ks in this car, and wait a minute, it's maybe time that we need to be pulling him for the, for the next car. Um, 
we don't do things like that. Our relationships are long-term relationships. Mm. In fact, our customers are friends of ours. Yeah. So they'll very often, this is their destination. They'll buy a car from us, but you'll see them here regularly. They're browsing around, come and have a cup of coffee, sit around and have a chat. Um, on a on a five o'clock in the evening, we have some of the guys that pop in, and that's when we have the glass of Chardonnay together, you know? Um, so our friends, are, our, our customers are our friends. Yeah. And they buy cars here not because they need a mode of transport. I mean, you don't buy a Topolino because you're looking for a mode of transport. You're looking for something interesting to drive. And it's also about the relationships that we have with people. Yeah. So that is, that is really what Lauda is about. It's, about. it's about everybody's here, from the coffee shop guys to Dean at sales to Pops, Alan, Shorty, Michael, everybody that's here. It's about our passion for the cars, our love for the cars. And then we also have a really a wonderful opportunity to have a really good connection with the people that drive them. Yeah. Just, you know, talking about drive them, um, I think what we're focusing on is driving experiences. So what we do is we create environments for people to use their cars. Because so often we find people have got supercars and they have them for a short period of time and we say, well, why are you selling it? And he goes, well, I don't really use it. Um, yeah, you do find okay, that. Okay, so it lands up just standing in the garage. Classic cars don't like standing. They want to be driven. They work well when they're driven. If you ever want to see a car, a classic car deteriorate, then don't drive it. Yeah. So what we do is we create environments for people to drive. So we meet you on a Saturday morning. Everybody pitches up with their cars from old drop-top Rolls Royces to E-types to you name it. And um, then we go to front hook. We'll go N2. The last one we did was N2, Elgin, Elgin back road to Tiervaldus Kloof, the old front yeah, hook yeah, pass. Yeah, yeah. We stopped at, um, at um, Montrachel for yeah. breakfast and then after that everybody and everybody loves it because they've had the opportunity to see nice scenery drive cars sort of engage with each other and all of a sudden people go I now know why I bought the cars yeah. because I met good friends and we had good laughter yeah. together we saw nice scenery and, and everybody admired everybody else's cars so there was yeah. a group of passionate guys who love cars all getting together talking about cars I mean it doesn't get better than that yeah so I think, I think it's, very, it's a very important component to our business is creating environments for people to understand why they bought them and to actually enjoy them. Yeah, you're sort of promoting car culture Correct. with the business. You yeah. The business is almost like a, you know, it's sort of a, a spillover effect of you want to have people enjoy their cars, go on drives, meet people, you know, because if you can't share it with anyone, like what's the use even? Like you can hear a, like this DBS, if I could hear this DBS startup, that would be amazing. But if I could hear a startup with three people around me who appreciate it, you know, as much as I do, yeah. like, that's even more insane. So I like the fact that you're sort of promoting that car culture and saying like, hey, but if you need business done, if you need this car to be bought, if you yeah. need this car to be built yeah. or whatever, that would be very cool. So just um, taking it a bit back to your days of Jag, um, it seems like you, you worked there for quite a few years. And that was basically the majority of your career. Um, when it comes to when it comes to cars, do you love 
working physically on the cars or do you love working with the people and having these kind of type of I guess relations like what's the, what's the where does the root of the passion lie sure that's a that's a difficult one I, I do enjoy the people but I must say it's um, if you if you give me I mean Dean has his hands full who, who Dean's a heads up heads up the sales here he has uh, his hands full in trying to contain my attention in in sales because i inevitably always migrate towards the workshop and you yeah. always see me with uh, uh tinkering around the car setting carbs or, or you know giving some advice or assistance there i really really enjoy the mechanical interaction um you know when when an engine is properly prepared we, we often receive cars in here and they, they're well overdue for services. Or they've, there are many guys in town that unfortunately don't, don't understand the cars, they do a don't service job. them properly. Mm. Um, and then the cars arrive here and they just run badly. And there's nothing more gratifying than going in, starting at the base, sort of going through the service meticulously, yeah. identifying the problems, sorting them out, and when you take the car for a test drive, you know, it goes like a clock. As if it, and there's there few so things satisfying. as gratifying and as satisfying as that. The, and very often the customers don't understand it, but that gives me the thrill. Yeah. You know, it's a, a car, when a car talks back to you, it's a bit like an ill patient. <laughs> uh, you know, and all of a sudden the car almost just the way it runs is smiling. Yeah. And it puts a smile on my face, you know, that's, that's, it's, a, part, that's a part I love. I mean, going back to the doctor analogy, it's the same thing. It's so, like, it's easy to get that, that satisfaction out of your job because you know there's a problem, I fix it, mm. there's a solution, well, you know, solution is found, the car drives well, and that's great. Mm. Um, with people, it's sometimes a bit more difficult, a bit more of a tedious process, but I guess um, the same level of gratification depending on what yeah. type of person you are. All right, so a bit more specifically on some cars you have here or some of your cars. I believe you are working on a race car at the moment, uh, the Thundercat, if I'm right. So maybe, uh, yeah, just chat about it, what it is, what's it going to do, what's the plan, what are you doing at the moment? So uh, the Thundercats were, we, we affectionately refer to it as the Thundercat. It's a 1984 Jaguar XJS. Uh, which was owned by, by Jaguar South Africa and prepared by Jaguar South Africa specifically for the Somali Hill Climb World. Jaguar was the yes. principal sponsor. And it was, uh, it was successfully campaigned there, uh, driven by myself and uh, Terry Grant uh, from the UK, very well-known stunt driver, uh, Randy Pobst, and did quite well in the Hill Climb. Uh, it, was, it was branded and prepared as a, a, in the Tom Wilkinshaw colors, Typical Jaguar Tom Wilkinshaw colours, the red, uh, the sorry, the green and green and white, uh, sports a 5.3 litre V12 motor. Yes. And at that time, it was a, it was a little bit of a branding exercise for Jaguar. Um, and when I left Jag, I had the opportunity of buying the car, uh, which I then did, and uh, drove it around for a little while. And then I decided, wait a bit, um, I would like to. She still has wood, the wooden dash, and she's still got the leather door cards and racing seats and harnesses, but a lot of it was still the original Jag stuff. Yeah. So what I did was I decided I was going to pull that out and put in some aluminium panels. 
and that's where the trouble started because okay. you generally get to the point you go well while i'm here i might as well do that so since then the suspension has been completely revised much bigger brakes different wheels different suspension components uh, interiors completely stripped out roll cages i mean you name it we've done it to the car and then we prepared our own trick uh, intake manifold exhaust system engine management system our own uh, ignition systems fuel injections yep. everything so she's she's currently at the dyno and we're quite keen to see what what the figures say yeah but uh, we hope to have her at the pre-race for the nine-hour endurance here in uh, in Cape Town on the 10th of this month. Oh, sorry, yeah, the 10th of December. Yeah. Um, one thing we do know, she makes the most incredible noise. <laughs> so would, with that, with that 5.3-liter V12 at full song, I mean, literally kids just just scramble for the car. You know, yeah. it's... A, if it doesn't win the race, it attracts the most attention. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they've, they just have this thing about them. I mean, they were the very successfully campaigned by Tom Wilkinshaw back in the 80s. Yeah. Um, Tom was told that Jags wouldn't do well at the Bathurst 1000 because Jags are not made for that. And fortunately, the first year that they did attend, they went there with one car, which didn't finish. And the following year, Tom uh, pitched up with three cars. And he absolutely obliterated the competition. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, rumors go that the car, they were asked not to come back the following year because it was, it was so good. But, I mean, successfully campaigned in Europe, uh, did uh, 12 and 24-hour races um, and sort of was one of those lifting points for, for Jag. Yeah. All of a sudden, the world started looking at Jaguar again with European, champ uh, European Touring Car Championships being won by, by Jaguar. It was one of the things that got the sales figures for Jag going. And there was this, that car was uh, quite iconic in sort of lifting the Jag brand um, yeah. up and sort of giving the, the public new interest in the brand. Because not only did it have the, the suave, svelte looks and the silky smooth motor, but they had fantastic sporting capability as well. So yeah. people started paying attention uh, again, which was, uh, which was amazing. And uh, when we bought the car, uh, brought it in here and uh, sort of reworked it. And it's been about 18 months of work that we yeah. put into the car. But All an incredibly satisfying experience of going through it. And, you know, the, the cars came out with a few genetic flaws. And when you identify those flaws and you put remedial plans for those in place... Yeah. You really have a rock-solid, ultra-reliable car, which will never let you down. Yeah. You cannot break those engines. I mean, we've tried. You simply cannot. So um, for people that are interested in, in, in XJSs, so all cars have this, um, they sort of go down in value, and then they're not looked at for a long time, and then the prices start going up yeah. because there's this new, renewed interest in the vehicles. In five years' time, we'll be having this conversation with a lot of people who say, I don't like the XJS or their prices are down there. Their prices are going up very, very quickly. Yeah. So if, um, and in South Africa, we've got very, very good examples because we don't put salt on our roads like Europe do for, for uh, the snow. Yeah. So the bottoms of our cars are in amazing condition. So when you go to Australia, that is interesting they're point. cult cars in Australia. If you go to the Czech Republic, very successfully raced in the Czech Republic, 
um, and they cult cars there. Germany, great interest. Yeah. It's only in South Africa that the guys haven't quite picked up on it yet. Yeah. And now investors are starting to look at these cars and go, wait a bit, watch the prices here because yeah. this is where we're going to be making our future buck. And uh, Extra S is an amazing car. You get a good one, it'll keep a smile on your face for a very long time. That's interesting. Going back to the, the racing part of it, mm. um, there was this, there's sort of this old story that, you know, if the car won the race on the Sunday, on the Monday there was an increase in sales, and that sort of boosted the brand. Yeah. These days it's a bit, bit more complicated than that, I think. Correct. Um, but it's very interesting to see, like, uh, that sort of similarity, or, you know, the effect um, that actually goes for the racing and how it influences the yeah. road-going cars. Yeah. Um, one interesting question I do have is the classic car market for, let's speak, let's t- just take British cars for now, um, in South Africa versus overseas. Um, do you see a lot of similarities? Are we a bit behind when it comes to demand of certain cars or appreciation for, um, or just, I guess, yeah, in general, how is the classic car market in comparison to overseas? Um we're very fortunate in South Africa. South Africa actually has an incredibly rich car culture. Yeah. Uh, motor racing was a very, very strong underpinning for that car culture. And we have some, I think, some of the, f- some of the finest examples and some of the finest collections of classic cars in the world. We certainly don't have to stand back for anybody. Yeah. And, and I think if we look at collectors in South Africa, uh, we have people that understand their cars and they understand the market. So we're very, uh, here at Lauda, we're actually very proud to be focusing most of our attention on the local market and the needs of our South African clients. The, the overseas market is, you know, is, is attended to by overseas people and, and if an if a overseas buyer comes in and purchases, well, they're really always getting a really, really good car for, for reasons already yeah. mentioned. But we've got, a, we've got a strong, supportive client base over here who are informed. They know what they want. Yeah. They know what they should be getting. And they appreciate good service when they get it. So um, yeah. uh, we, we, we're quite happy to focus, focus on, uh, on the local market. The other big mistake that a lot of people make is they focus on the, on the, on the European market, mm. uh, which is lucrative. Yeah. But we need to understand that there is a finite reserve of classic cars in South Africa. Mm. It, there's a, it's a finite reserve. So we send them all overseas. Uh, later, we'll be scrambling around for our own stock. We don't want to be seeing all the gorgeous girls from South Africa going, going overseas. Yeah. Keep them here. Yeah. Love them over here, you know. Keep them in an environment which is, which is good for them here. We have the good, um, good beaches here. Yeah, so. we got a good beach. We got fantastic roads. Yeah. One of the common things that we hear from visitors here at Lauda that come from overseas is they say, "Guys, you've got some of the most beautiful driving roads in the world." Yes. You know, um, we just need to get these old girls out, drive them more regularly, and actually enjoy them. Yeah. What I what I do find is, um, <coughs> of course, I myself. <laughs> I'm not a classic car owner, mm. um, but speaking to some people as, as yourself, um, maybe, I guess yeah, you guys have unbelievable expertise um, in fixing and refurbishing and working on these cars, mm. like 
this is your background and you entered into this business with the necessary knowledge, like you are the specialist. Um, is there a lot of people like you in South Africa that actually specialize in working on these classic cars? Because I do find some people, um, if they have the money to buy and drive these cars, they are willing to actually send it overseas to be refurbished there, worked on there. Um, I'm thinking a lot of Porsches now at the moment um, who are very keen to send it back to uh, Germany to be worked on there. So are there enough of these kind of specialist people when it comes to the classic car scene um, to actually work, properly work on these cars? Because you get a lot of duds and fakes these days who you know, claim and proclaim they have the knowledge and expertise, but then make a mess of the situation. Correct. Um, also because of, it's a lot of, lot of young guys. Um, but yeah, what are your takes on, on that so situation? It's a very interesting comment that because obviously with the advent of um, onboard diagnostics and, and the way cars are managed these days and, and with our progress into electric cars, technicians or qualified technicians are very different to the qualified technicians of back then. So if I had to take a, a technician who's fully qualified, master technician with, a, with JAG, for instance, and I had to take him a carburetor kit, I think he'd battle, want, battle working out where this has got to go. Yeah. So the unfortunate thing is that the skills to maintain these cars are busy dying, yeah. along with the people who used to maintain them. And uh, so do we have the skills in South Africa? Currently, yes. Okay. As one of the good. things that we're focusing on at the moment, that's why we got POPs in and we've got a couple of... We're in the process of starting an academy. That's awesome. And the academy is around restoration of classic cars because it's a very strongly supported industry by the tourism industry. Yeah. People travel here to come and have a look at cars. And so we want to be in the process of creating an environment where young individuals can come, and, uh, can come here at our academy, which we're in the process of setting up, and they can learn the skills related to restoring old cars. So if you want to learn how to work on the English wheel, you're going to have to go through that entire cycle. Yeah. So old classic car engine building, we built them differently to the way they're built today tuning them doing the woodwork yeah. how the leather is done in, in those cars um, how uh, the bodies are prepared in those old cars getting the shut lines right spray painting them is differently it's also different but then you also get taught the skills of where to get which parts yeah. so a, a, a car you can send body panels to any spray paint and they are more than likely to be able to turn out the most magnificent paint job but then when it comes to either stripping or assembling the cars mm. it's when you get the cars back and you six months after you've taken delivery you see a chrome trim falls off and they go what happened there yeah and they stuck it on with silicon uh well why well because they broke the clips off when they took the chrome trim off not knowing how it's how it's assembled yeah and then they don't know where to buy these the clips or the little nuts and bolts, or how to fix those things when they've broken them. So very often these cars land up in the wrong hands, and they actually cause more damage in, in the process. Yeah. You know? So yeah, our, our aim is to make sure that these skills which we have 
are passed on to a younger generation of guys who are as passionate about classic cars as we are, and they can walk away and start businesses of their own like it, or come yeah. and join us, you know. So. And I think, especially in South Africa, there is definitely a market for younger guys coming through with the Absolutely. necessary skills, because I guess technical skills, looking at even schools, like there aren't a lot of technical schools anymore. Correct. Um, like people who can work with their hands and work yeah. properly, like they are definitely in demand and they can make something for themselves. Yeah. Um, but I guess continuing in this conversation, how do you see classic cars and the classic car scene staying in demand for the next 20 years or uh, classic cars still being a thing that people drive within the next 20 years? Of course, regulation changes are happening in Europe. Uh, it's a bit you know, slower in South Africa, uh, which is good for, for the car guys. Um, but I guess I'm also touching on uh, the big topic that is resto mods. A lot of people are restoring and you know, making resto mods of old cars with new engines or new chassis just better and improved because that appeals to basically any car guy yeah. you know you have the safety of modern technology and um, maybe a, a better built engine or whatever it may be with the classic car look and, and feel to some extent um, but yeah just heading back to the question how do you see the classic car scene just continuing to be a thing in the next 20 years sure it's a difficult one to answer because obviously <clears throat> you know things change changed so quickly yeah. that uh, if one just looks at the interest abroad uh, we would have thought that with the advent of electric cars and uh, movement away from fossil fuels and and things like that that um, there would be a decline in the interest in in classic cars but there is an intrinsic always this intrinsic interest of wanting to own a real car yeah you know, it's for the same reason that you get guys that go and buy up an, an old Spitfire. You know? Yeah. Gosh, they used to smoke terribly. They sometimes difficult oh, to start up. They, they're incredible back in their day, but it's quite antiquated technology and, and sometimes quite dangerous to fly to fly today. You know? Yeah. But people spend an absolute fortune in owning one of those real old school classics. Yeah. And I think... I think us men are sort of genetically flawed. Yes, we are. We, we like that stuff. We do. You know? uh, we like to feel real leather. Uh, we like to touch real metal body panels. Yeah. We like to hear the sound of of a race engine or an or an old classic car engine. You know, we, we were debating about this the other day, and I think this is something we should never lose sight of. As we have Formula E. Yes. Yeah. Those vehicles are unbelievably fast. They handle unbelievably well. We've got battery technology, which is developing you know, at an incredible pace, giving uh, ranges unthought of, with performance figures unthought of a mm. while ago. But it's not violent enough. <laughs> you know, the, the, old race, the, old, the old races of, of back then, people went to go and see cars burning and... Yeah. accidents happening and yeah, engines exploding and stuff like that it sort of was like going to the gladiator you know the the arena um the old cars have still got that real uncut Volatile. rawness about them yeah you know? if you got to the end of the race that already was an achievement yeah <laughs> whereas today it's sort of almost taken taken for granted so i think that violence and the noise and the the smells and things like that, which we've grown accustomed to, yeah. 
Oh, he had to remain for a couple of generations still, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I'm just thinking of like, um, of course, a lot of people do drag races on YouTube yeah. these days. Yeah. And any granny uh, of eight years old can step into an RS3 and do 3.8 seconds yeah. to 100. But stepping into a, I don't know, old Testarossa or some XJS, which has been tuned and worked on to, you know, similar to the level of a Thundercat yeah. or such, like there's a certain fear that sort of keeps you grounded. Yeah, something's um, going to break somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> every time you step into the car, you're like, am I going to exit out of this car line? Yeah. Um, which might sound hectic, but it's also just like, it's it sort of, at one part of it, it gives you this respect for the car and, and mm. the, you know, the mechanical and the engineering marvel that it is. Mm. Um, but it also, it's like, it's this thrilling experience that wants you to step back into the car next Saturday after a week of work, um, which just sort of keeps it interesting and it's sort of the reason why you actually own yeah. that car um, okay. but speaking of ownership uh, what, are some, what are some of the babies you've had over the years sure. um, some um, of the favourites some cars you drive now you know some, I, get, I get asked this question all the time you know what is my favourite car in the showroom and I must tell you I'm a little bit like a woman <laughs> my mind changes all the time Daily. you know and you get in you get into an old rolls royce and you know old silver shadow and you drive somewhere you stop at a traffic light and the people can't stop next to the wonder window and they go that's beautiful and then yeah. your day is made yeah you know? um and then you next day i'll get in old thundercats and drive her home and you can't hear what the people are saying but you know clearly they're approving because they're putting their their thumbs up and they love it and it puts uh, so, I don't know. Uh, E-types, uh, we've, I mean, we've got E-types. I yeah. drive them. We've got Heelys. I drive them. We've got a little Triumph TR4, which I drive, and it's, it's, a, it's a cool little car. A very difficult answer as to what my favorite car is, but we sort of owned them, owned them all, and then yeah. you sell that one, and you buy something else, and, and so you go through this journey of enjoying all the cars, and I'm one of those privileged individuals to have sort of yeah, owned and driven all these things um and i never get bored yeah i i never ever get bored i get into one every single time and i smile yeah i must tell you something i i, I had quite an interesting experience just before COVID. i took a drive in an e-type to um to uh what is that pass what's uh, front uh, pass no 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 um so uh, no, not Solaris. Um, uh, oh, Clarence Drive. No. No, not Clarence Drive. No, no, Drive. out there past out payment. <laughs> well, our, um, our, our favorite our pass that everybody drives off. We'll so, get it now. Yeah. Anyway, got to, got to the top of it and my phone rang. I was driving an old E-type. It was Sunday lunchtime and it's one of my mates from Johannesburg. So I go, where are you? And he says, I'm behind you. And I look in my rearview mirror and there's this new Porsche blah, 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 911 with all the carbon fiber bits that you nice. can even think of, you know. And he goes, uh, I assume it's you driving the E-Type in front of me. I go, yeah, and we stopped at Nurtuk and Chapman's Peak. Chapman's Peak, yeah. So we stopped in Nurtuk and I had a chat and I said, fancy a beer? And he says, yeah. So he goes, we turn around and we decide we're going to go back to Chapman's Peak Hotel, stop there for a beer together and catch up. Haven't yeah. seen each other for a long time. So we pull in at the hotel at the bottom. It's Sunday lunchtime. It's packed. And all of a sudden, everybody stands up on the balcony. And the cameras come out, and taking pictures of the E-type. And 
And he, he walks up to me and he nudges, and nudges me and he says, you know this is rude, hey? Yeah, oh, and no I one's go, taking pictures of the Porsche. What? And he says, I've just spent a fortune on this car and nobody's taken one photo of it. That's yet. so true. And, and it, it, the penny dropped at that moment that the attention was grabbed, all these people's attention was grabbed by a car that's completely outdated in terms of technology. Mm. But it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, and it, it was uncomfortable to get into. And they're hot inside on a hot summer's day because the heat from that engine bay comes straight through into the... But everybody loved it. Yeah. And, and of course, I loved getting the attention yeah, <laughs> as well. Yeah, obviously. But, but it's, a, it's an amazing car. They, they, these old cars just do that. Yeah. And I think um, thinking of that Porsche and just modern cars are so unbelievably capable. Mm. Like you can be some kind of, you know, driving expert with not a lot of effort because mm. of all the systems mm. and stuff that keep you in place. But also, I mean, <laughs> we, we drive on public roads. Public roads have restrictions mm. and have, you know, stuff that sort of keep you in boundaries and terms yeah. of speed limits and such. Like... You just can't drive at 200 kilometers an hour, you know, around every corner. Like, it's, it's just not well, viable. We're not supposed to at all. We're not supposed I know, to I know what you're saying. Sometimes you, I mean, you're running away from something and you sort of have to go quick. <laughs> but, um, yeah, sometimes your modern supercars and sports cars are just too impractical in terms of speed and capability. And your average human driver never reaches that capability. Um, which is a bit scary in, in one way, but also with classic cars. Like, I'm not saying there aren't fast classic cars. Like, obviously, your E-Type is not a slow car in terms of the general um, spectrum, but sort of enjoying that experience, even if you are driving at 60 kilometers an hour. Um, Rolls-Royce, not made to go super quick, but... Quick enough. Quick enough. And at any point, at any speed, like... That ultimate luxury, just you know, you just fall back into it, and it's just enjoyable. So that's very. Well, here's cool a here's an interesting thing: is that because because of the capability of modern cars, you only uh, and uh, you know that goes for F-type Jags and goes for for Porsches and all these cars. Yeah. Is you only realize you only feel like you drive. We all want to drive fast, you know. You only feel like you're driving fast when you actually are driving fast, which is. 200, 250 or 300 k's an yeah. hour. With the old classic cars, like the Thundercat, for instance, it makes such a great noise <laughs> and everything. You literally feel like you're doing 300 when you're doing 60 k's an hour. Yeah. So I'm still within, well within the speed limits and you feel like this gladiator. You know? <laughs> Whereas you never get that sensation in, in a new car. Yeah. And you know, going back to, going back to Jags, now I mean, as you know, that I'm, I am a, a, a Jag fan. But it's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the F-Type was the traction control was deliberately dialed in to come in a bit late. Mm. So you were capable of getting, even with the traction control, you could there get was the tail slightly yeah. out of favor. And the noise was of such nature it's that you started the car up in the morning in your garage. <laughs> your neighbors knew about it. Yeah. You had a smile on your face like a little boy. Yeah. And you could literally be driving at 60 k's an hour, and it just made this proper noise. And, and that's what a sports car should do. Yeah. You shouldn't have to break the speed limit to actually mm. have a smile on your face. You know? yeah. um, Jag does that properly. 
yeah. and get into an old Mark II, you're doing 120 k's an hour. It feels like you're doing 190 or 200. You know? Yeah. And <laughs> so that's a dream. It's, it's about the senses. And, and these old cars do, they, they're more about plugging into our senses than really um, their capability. And the interesting thought is also that, you know, in those years when these kind of cars were made, like, I don't think the makers of those cars thought 30 years ahead saying that people will be thinking of these cars like this, like you're speaking about it. Yeah. They just, that was cars yeah. in that time. Like that was the technology they had, Indeed. the knowledge they've had, Indeed. the expertise they applied. Yeah. Um, and that's just also a very cool thought. Like yeah. that was cars then. And um, I'm just also wondering like, you know, how are modern cars going to be perceived? Cars like, you know, the 911 GT2 RS or, um, the 458 especially, you know, how are these cars going to be perceived 20 mm. years from now? So that's also an interesting thought. But um, I guess to end off, um, I like to ask um, my guests usually, if you can take one car on one specific road, anywhere in the world, could be, a, could be um, overseas or wherever, if you could take one car on one road, where would it be? What car would it be? What are you feeling like now? Right, it, it would more than likely for the moment, right now, it would more than likely be mild race car. Okay. Um, it would be Thundercat, it would more than likely be Nelspreit to Leidenberg via the Long Tom Pass, which is this, this windy yeah. ribbon, of, a ribbon of road that you can get it properly sideways. And um, you get a lot of echo coming from the mountains. I think if if it was right now, that would be the that would be the the call, you know. Yeah. I'm not sure you come back and all my fillings will have fallen out and things like yeah. that, be <laughs> shaken out. But that, if you ask me right now, what am I going to do? That's that's where I'd be going. That's very cool. I mean, you are going to see the car now yeah. shortly, anyway. Indeed. So that just gets Indeed. you excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, Clinton, I want to thank you for joining. Yeah, well, um, awesome. I think it was such a cool conversation. I mean, of course, there's a lot more to chat about, um, but I think it's also cool for the people to just sort of get a glimpse into what is behind a place such as this. Like, it's not just business. Uh, ultimately, we do gather, gather around the cars for the experience that it is. Mm. Just, it adds to your life experience. Um, so, I usually end off by saying, uh, you know, rather love cars because it's, it's better than loving drugs. So, uh, oh, Listen, I must thank you also. You know, it's, um, it's, it's great to see guys like yourself who are sort of connecting into, into the motor world and into classic cars and your, your interests because you need to realize that you're, you're the future. Yeah. You're the next generation of cool guys. <laughs> you know, you're the, you're the next generation of guys that, that pitch up at the party in a silver shadow. Your mates pitch up with a BMW M3. Not that I've got anything against M3s, <laughs> but I can promise you you're taking the checks home. Yeah. Because the rolls is cooler than all Obviously, the, the, the other ones, you know. And if you're going to stand out in the crowd, a classic does that all the time. Yeah. So thank you for your interest in it. Thank you for promoting our, our industry. Thanks for your trouble coming all the way through and visiting our little toy shop. It is and, definitely uh, not trouble when it comes to playing <laughs> with the toys. So, um, but yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and um, go out the next time.